Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source for insights and best practices on the digital transformation of healthcare. Join host Patty Patmanaban, CEO of Demo Consulting and best-selling author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how consumerism, technology, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with healthcare and technology leaders. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back. I am joined by my special guest today, Jason Considine, Chief Business Development Officer at Experian Health. Jason, thank you so much for setting aside the time and welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me, Patty. So Jason, Experian is known mostly to people the world over as the big credit bureau, one of the big credit bureaus uh, in the world. Tell us a little bit about Experian Health. Yeah, we're certainly part of that, that large global organization, Experian, but our, our focus on Experian Health is really around simplifying the healthcare system for all the stakeholders, patients, providers, and payers. And we have thousands of, of healthcare facilities across the United States that, that leverage us to kind of simplify that operational complexity of healthcare. And I like to think of it from, you know, the point the appointment is scheduled from the patient all the way through the claims being filed to the payers and the, the money being collected from the patient. We have solutions that help simplify that process for all of the stakeholders. And some of the things that uh, we're doing with data in this, this new age of data and understanding patients more precisely is also an exciting opportunity for us and how we're, we're helping make uh, healthcare a little bit simpler. So the story is about the data. And uh, can we dive a little bit into a couple of the use cases that you just mentioned in terms of how Experian data is used in the healthcare context and maybe touch upon how you ensure privacy, among other things, when you use the when you use the consumer data that, that you have access to. Yeah, certainly. So we're a data and technology company, and and Experian Health is is no different. And so the Experian data is core to the all of Experian's products and services that we we deliver to the healthcare industry. And it helps, you know, make these experiences for providers and for patients simpler. And so uh, when we think about all the things around the scheduling of an appointment, all the way through uh, that collections process I mentioned, Experian data is involved in those processes to make it better for all, all the stakeholders. And from a, a data and privacy perspective, it is paramount and core to everything we do at Experian is to ensure the privacy, the security, and the protection of the data. And so that's a big part of what we do in our health business. And it's a big part of what Experian does globally to ensure that we're compliant, not only with the regulations that exist in all the different markets that we serve, but we maintain a very high standard of ethics and, and uh, standards on ourselves on how, on how this data can be used and leveraged in the healthcare setting. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of use cases when it comes to the data. And uh, if I recall it right, these were more to do with uh, the revenue cycle, uh, payment integrity uh, type situations. 
can you tell us a little bit about how you use this in the context of maybe a clinical operations? So there's a lot of talk and a lot of interest today in what is known as social determinants of health and your data, especially the demographic data that you have access to about your consumers is very pertinent in the context of social determinants of health. Can you talk a little bit about how your data is used in that context, if it is used at all? Yeah, absolutely. And it is an important part of the clinical setting and and becoming increasingly important. And so Experian has access to a lot of consumer permissioned information. I think that's one thing that that sets us apart from our competitors in in the industry and is that our data is permission from the consumer and we know that it's identifiable to a consumer, right? And that has a lot more value to a healthcare provider than this de-identified kind of aggregate cohort data. It's very helpful in making decisions about, you know, if somebody has access to nutritious food, good example of that is diabetes is, is a condition that many providers are helping patients with and trying to get them on a better track. If they don't live in a community where they have access to nutritious food, it's going to be difficult for them to remain compliant with a physician's directions on how to get better, right? And so we have healthcare providers that are able to see that by using some of the data that we're mentioning and are actually prescribing food to patients. And if they can't afford food, giving them some financial abilities to go procure that food. We have data that can help with um, understanding a patient's propensity to stay adherent with their medication and even access to transportation. You know, one of the things I think we, we found interesting in some of our data studies is that a lot of times the patient leaves the facility and part of their treatment program is to come back in for rehabilitation, right? And if they don't have access to transportation, maybe they can't afford transportation, they're unlikely to come back in and get the the rehab services that they need, which could cause downstream impacts that are adverse to their their condition and, and cost the patient and the healthcare system more money. And so a good solution understanding that is to potentially offered prepaid rideshare type of programs to patients and ensure or increase the likelihood that they're going to come back in for some of those follow-up visits. Lots of really interesting ways that some of this social determinant, non-clinical socioeconomic type of data can help providers understand other attributes of uh, how a patient lives and how that might impact their, their overall wellness. These are great examples, and I'm actually very familiar with the use cases that you just mentioned. Uh, uh, there's at least one health system on the East Coast that we're familiar with that uses this data exactly the way you described for managing uh, diabetic populations uh, and making sure that there is access to nutritious food. And you talk about, you know, we talk about food deserts and transportation deserts and uh, how they impact the overall health of the population and where you live uh, in Dallas, Texas, there's a healthcare organization that we work with that does that uses uh, socioeconomic data to uh, predict uh, preterm births uh, by associating it with a number of things that you just referred to. You know, access to nutritious food and so on. That's fascinating stuff, and I do like uh, what you mentioned, which is an important uh, point, and I, and I want to make sure that our listeners uh, register that, which is that this is consumer permission data, and this is a very very important aspect. Uh, you know, we do have a lot of anonymized data that is accessible to 
you know, healthcare organizations from a variety of sources, but having consumer permission data allows you to target your interventions in a much, much more effective way. So that is a great point. So switching topics, your firm did some research uh, recently on consumer preferences for access to care in the immediate wake of the pandemic last year. And then you updated the research again earlier in the summer of this year. And you found some interesting trends that had evolved between the last time you did it last year and now. Can you talk a little bit about the research itself and what some of the highlights are? Yeah, absolutely. And so the original reason for the research is that, you know, we believed that consumers experienced their uh, different level of experience when their non-healthcare work that we do, right? Everything we do with Amazon and even a simple thing like going to get a haircut, right? You can schedule online. But in healthcare, it was a very different experience. We were behind the times. And so we wanted to run this survey. And what we saw was really interesting. The pandemic really forced people to adopt new technology. And we saw a a big advancement and the adoption of digital solutions. And, and so the research really spelled that out. Even this move to what, what we call Generation C, which I guess we're, we're all a part of, Generation C, but kind of this, this expectation now going as we're still kind of in this pandemic and going forward around access to more convenient solutions in the healthcare setting. And just a, a few things that we found in, this, in the survey We found that 78% of patients reported that they want the convenience of 24 by 7 self-scheduling, but only 40% of providers currently offer that service, right? And so big opportunity for providers to continue to improve in that area. And they agree, the providers agree, we surveyed both patients and providers, and they say that patients are 30% more likely to prefer to register online. So they're seeing some of that in, in their own feedback that they're, they're giving to us. And I think they're getting better. 90% of providers reported through our survey that improving the patient experience is one of their key top priorities. And I think as we continue to see the effects of the pandemic and what they had on all of us as consumers, you're going to see providers have to continue to improve that patient experience. And there's not, now that we've all scheduled online to go get a COVID test, I went to a conference a few weeks ago and digitally uploaded my vaccine card and moved through the the process all digitally to register and check in for this conference. And you're seeing providers do all those things that, that we're doing now in our all the other aspects of our lives. I don't think consumers are going to want to go backwards, Patty. I think the expectation is that providers are going to continue to offer a way to do business with them in a digital setting that's more convenient to the patient. Yeah, I'm going to double click on the report's findings. I've actually read through the report and uh, there's some fascinating insights in there. But quickly, what is Generation C? Generation C was a term coined by, I think it was uh, a leader of a large financial institution. And it's, you know, it's this generation of consumers and, and people that are, that are being all of us being affected by COVID, right? And so I think we're all part of Generation C, but you've got this, this younger generation of people engaging in their care that this is kind of the first experience they've had too, right? And so I think, I think we're all part of Generation C. 
So in your research findings, now clearly consumers want the convenience of online or digital access to care and providers acknowledge that uh, consumers uh, must be provided that access. But you also found that providers, many providers are cutting back on that online access. Explain that. Yeah, you know what I think that is? I think um, there is a discomfort still out there with providers. And I'll, I'll give you an example. A lot of providers have very customized views at how they schedule appointments into their day. And some people are very specialized providers. And as they've started to open back up, you know, patients were coming in or deferring services and only coming in for COVID-related treatments. As they started opening back up and they need to get, you know, just maybe post-operative visits on a certain day and, and, or a subspecialist wants to make sure that, that patients that they shouldn't be treating aren't ending up on their schedule. Those are complicated business problems that, that digital solutions, it can be tough to manage that. And I think there's a, a concern with providers that they didn't have all the, the things in place to manage this at scale on a go-forward basis. And we've started to see some revert back. But I think the technologies that are available I, I have the ability to customize things and provide this experience that consumers want. And I would just you know, impress upon providers that they're partner with your vendors and, and get into the capabilities of the solutions because we can work together to make this better for patients and providers, right? It can uh, actually provide a lot more control and opportunities to, to make providers easier to do business with. But that's what I think it is, Patty, is just we were kind of forced into this by the pandemic. And and now that, that things are going a bit back to normal in certain parts of the country, I think we're seeing some people revert back to the way things were before. And I think we need to stay the course and, and continue to evolve as a, as a healthcare ecosystem and provide patients and consumers what they expect. I couldn't agree more with you, Jason. And some of the work that we've done with our clients recently around uh, the digital transformation strategies and the virtual care strategies in particular seems to indicate that there is a, certainly a sort of a dynamic or a tension between what the technologies can enable providers to do in terms of online access to care and online care and what providers are actually doing. And there seem to be you know, complex forces at play, but if we boil it all down, there is a fundamental question around whether providers are comfortable enough with the technology and the solutions available to really not just offer it, but also actively promote it with their patients. Yep. And unless they educate their patients about the options, and patients are not going to know whether it's available or not. But there's also a certain amount of uh, responsibility on the providers to make sure they're aware of what the technology can do make sure they do the workflow changes, the training, and all of those investments to make all of this happen. So we are sort of, I think, at an interesting point. We saw a spike in uh, online visits last year, and then it seems to have dropped back a little bit. But uh, I just hope that we, you know, collectively as an industry, move forward with the technology enablement that is now available to us at scale. And I think, too, you know, just to add one more thought there, I think I think there's a responsibility on, on companies that provide these solutions like Experian to ensure that 
we make them easy to implement and support the provider communities through that process, right? Because change is, change is hard. It's not just installing a piece of software. There's a lot of work and consultation that has to be done between the technology provider as well as the provider to make sure that it's done right. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. And I'm curious to know, based on the data that you have on literally millions and tens of millions of consumers, do you see any differences between consumer preferences based on their demographic profiles about whether they whether a certain demographic prefers it as opposed to the others? Now you talked about millennials and the and, and the conventional wisdom seems to be that millennials are digital native, they're much more amenable. But the the reality may not be as simple and straightforward. Would you care to comment on that? Yeah, I certainly would. And we do see differences. And, and you know, I'll give a personal example. My mother is 70 years old, and she is one of the most digitally savvy people that I know. And, and she engages with her provider online. I think we see all different segments of the population. People have different personal preferences. And I think it speaks to the power of that consumer permission data is that you have to be careful when you look at just large cohorts of data or cohorts of, of populations, because there are segments or, and individuals within those cohorts that prefer different things. And providers have access to information that can really allow them to engage with people in a, in a personal way and provide the right solutions to attract the, the to kind of market to their unique uh, personal preferences. So let's talk about uh, the consumer data industry. One of your competitors, TransUnion Health, was in the news recently. They just got acquired. They're going to be part of a larger organization, which is essentially in the revenue cycle space. And I can relate that to some of the comments you made early on about you know having a better understanding of the profiles of your consumers so you can improve payment integrity and so on and so forth. So what is driving the interest in consumer data today when you look across your client profile? I think uh, we're in a fascinating time. I think clinical providing better care is certainly driving a lot of interest in this consumer data. And we talked a, a little bit about social determinants, but when you put consumer data with clinical data and derive insights from that, I think we're in the early innings of understanding what's going to be possible with the combination of all these data sets. I think there's some interesting, you add genetic data to that, and there's all different types of, of awesome things that I think will come out of this, this analytical era that we're in and, and understanding better ways to take care of patients. But it extends way beyond that. You know, I think when we think back to, you know, just a few years ago, and, and even still today, largely, Patients are treated very uniquely in the clinical setting, but then every other thing that they experience from a provider, it's pretty standard. We all get the same bills. We're all kind of marketed to the same way, and the experience doesn't feel very individual. And it doesn't have to be that way, right? We're starting to see more and more data being leveraged to understand that, hey, this patient has a unique financial situation, and maybe they shouldn't get a statement from us for $5,000 because they qualify for our financial assistance program, right? And if I know that up front, 
a patient's outcome may be very different if I don't stick them with a $5,000 bill and I go ahead and offer that financial aid up front, right? I I can focus on being well and not worried about how I'm going to put food on the table. And so that information and being able to provide a personalized financial experience, administrative experience, and even how I market to patients, Patty, I think this is an interesting thing we learned through our research too, is at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a tremendous amount of job loss, right? And people were moving to different parts of the country to find work. And then after that, and even during that same time, we saw the boom of online work, right? And so if you don't need to go into the office, you can also move and work from anywhere. And so there was a lot of moving as a result of that. And so providers find themselves with a bunch of new patients in the communities they serve understanding who those patients are and how they can outreach to those patients and get them in for care. Maybe they deferred through the early parts of the pandemic and they need to come in for, for different wellness visits and even attracting you know new patients just in general that are in your community to grow your business. And as a provider, awesome opportunities to leverage data to be very precise about how you can identify those people and then outreach to them and get those patients into your healthcare system. So when I look at, and we do a lot of work in the world of health systems, a lot of the listeners to this for this podcast are in the health system space. So let's talk about hospitals and health systems. When you look at hospitals and health systems as uh, your potential customers for uh, experience health data, who are your primary audiences for the data? Is it the CFO organization, the chief marketing officer? Is it the chief medical officer? Someone else maybe in charge of data and analytics? And what are the typical challenges that you encounter when you try to integrate your data with their data to target the kind of interventions that we just talked about? Yeah, certainly. I think all of those stakeholders are often impacted in a decision around around data. Certainly, there are use cases that are more marketing-centric that uh, we talk to the chief marketing officer. The CTO and CIO is often a very important buyer stakeholder inside of a healthcare organization and the chief financial officer as well. And I would say the CEO also, because one of the things we continued, you know, through the research, we saw that improving the patient experience was a key organizational priority. I think this, uh, this, decision to use data to get smarter about how we engage patients is something happening all the way up at the highest levels of of organizations. Some of the things that we run into that are interesting challenges and opportunities to solve for is there is a lot of work around data privacy and understanding how this data is secured and used. And we've talked a lot about data and, and experience role in data. And I think Organizations are, are doing a lot to understand how data is governed and used uh, by, by organizations like Experian. But Patty, it's, it's kind of a, it's a tough place for hospitals to be because this data market, consumer data has been around for a long time. It's used in a lot of different industries and it's an incestuous market. There's companies that are data brokers that buy data from other data suppliers who buy data from other data suppliers. And by the time a healthcare organization gets a hold of data like that, who knows what the consumer really gave access to, right? right. It gives the it gives this um, 
kind of creep factor component to data. And so I, I think navigating is the data something I should be using? How is the vendor treating the data? How is my data going to be treated? Is, is the vendor going to go sell my data? We work really hard with our our healthcare and hospital customers uh, make sure everybody's comfortable with how the data is secured, how the data is going to be used to help drive these specific use cases, and that you know we're not just going to go market their data to a data broker. So those are a lot of the challenges we work through from a security and compliance perspective. But then also operationalizing the information is can be a challenge because to really be impactful, the data needs to get to the right person in the right spot of the patient journey to make an effective decision, or if it's the patient themselves, give them the right solution that they need to engage with it, wherever they are inside of the healthcare journey. And so making sure that we have the right integrations and getting access to the right person at the right point in the journey is really an important part of the process as well. You make some very, very good points there, Jason. And in many ways, I feel like uh, we're a little bit in the wild west when it comes to uh, the new era of data and uh, healthcare. You mentioned that consumer data has been around for a long time and has been used in a number of contexts. But in healthcare, it's relatively recent and relatively new. And so the appreciation for all of the guardrails that need to be in place may not be as sophisticated and advanced as it is perhaps in other industries. And my own experience tells me that the privacy compliance folks often come in kind of after the fact. I don't know if that is your experience or not, but what would you say to healthcare executives listening to this podcast when it comes to the opportunity to use the data from Experian Health or anyone else in intervening either in a marketing, financial, or a medical context? What should they be thinking about to make sure that uh, they're staying within the norms? Yeah, great, great question. And we like to bring privacy and compliance to the start of the conversation. And we we think that should be the first thing that we discuss. And I think you got to ask the right questions. If you're an executive in a healthcare organization, you want to understand where the data comes from. And, you know, I mentioned our data is consumer permissioned and That's important because we spend a lot of time, energy, and effort not only securing the data and making sure it's the privacy of the data is all within our control, but also that we have timely access to the consumer. We have a direct relationship with the consumer. So if the consumer decides, you know what, I want to opt out of sharing my data, we uh, maintain that relationship with the consumer and we, we put that into place efficiently and effectively. And we can also maintain and promise kind of the freshness of the data. All the governance around that is something Experian offers as a data supplier. And I think organizations need to ask those questions and understand how is the data that the data organization they're working with, where is it coming from? How are they procuring it? What's the governance and the freshness around how they maintain that data? How is consumer permissioning managed? All those things are important things about understanding where the data that the consumer data you're accessing came from, and then also understanding what data you're going to be combining with that consumer data to draw new insights and how is your partner going to be leveraging that information. That's important for healthcare organizations to understand. And so I I think I would recommend they bring privacy compliance in that discussion earlier in the process 
because it's as much or, or more important than operationalizing and just building the insights on top of the data. Those are great points. And uh, I wish we had time to explore that more, but maybe in another conversation at some point. We are coming up to the end of our time here, Jason, and I do want to touch on one other topic, the uh, consumer data that uh, that comes from organizations like Experian Health can be a force for good, especially when it comes to improving health equity or healthcare affordability and healthcare outcomes, especially for underserved or vulnerable populations. What is your advice to healthcare organizations or even policymakers when it comes to the use of your data in serving public health and social causes? Yeah, great, great question. And I think when I think about who we are as a global organization, one of the statements you made, Patty, is, is all about what experience about. We use our data for good and try to make consumers' lives better. And that's no different in healthcare. And so we, the access to this, this consumer information and data when combined with healthcare information can help us do so many great things. We talked about some of them. They can tell us when a patient lives in a community and can't afford or access nutritious food. It can help us understand when patients are likely to not be compliant in taking other medicines. It can help us understand when people can't get access to transportation to even get to the doctor. And we're seeing that drive awesome innovation inside of providers on how they get people access to food. Maybe they're going to send nurses out to people's homes to do some diabetic follow-up work if they can't afford to get into the clinic. And so I, I think using data in that clinical setting, awesome opportunities to do that. And then also with health equity, we know with consumer data who can afford healthcare and who can't before they even come in for their visit, right? And there's been a lot of studies done on, I'll go as far as saying the fear of how you're going to pay for your bill at the end of a, a cancer treatment regimen, right? And there are horrible things that people do because they, they are just, you know, fearful of, of how they're going to put food on the table and how that may impact their families, right? Medical bankruptcy is one of the largest causes of bankruptcy in the United States. And so understanding how people can, uh, we can use that data for a force for good and get people into financial assistance programs and, and remove that burden from their head so they can focus on on their treatment and getting well. Those are all things that this data can, can be used for to make healthcare better for all stakeholders. And we're really excited about that. And we're really excited about the opportunity to help make healthcare a better place for all of us as patients, but for providers and payers as well. Jason, thank you so much for this fascinating conversation. Once again, thank you for being on the show and all the very best to you and your team. Thank you for having me, Patty, and all the best to you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can reach us at info at with your feedback and questions. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Palbox.